0: You're about to join Jerry Parker, Moritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing, and learn about the most dependable and consistent, yet often overlooked, investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series.
1: Hey, everyone. Uh, Niels here, just uh, jumping in with a slightly different introduction to... Uh, to this uh, part two, I think we can call it uh, of the uh, systematic investor series with uh, our special guest Andreas Kleino, as uh, some of you may know who listen to uh, our. Uh, Normal recording we had a bit of an issue at the end so we had to cut that off Um, but we have recovered it by now and uh, so we're just jumping straight into our conversation um, that we had with Andreas where we were discussing some of the topics I think surrounding backtesting at the time. Um, and uh, there was a lot of other good stuff coming up uh, later in the conversation. I want to make sure you got that as well. So, sorry for the uh, arbitrary uh, introduction this week uh, for part two, and and, uh, hopefully you will enjoy it. Uh, We'll be back as usual uh, next week, and uh, in the meantime, uh, take care
2: it is but you know if you if you you pull the argument long enough you have uh, I mean sometimes you see this analysis where where somebody is looking at uh, I don't know three four hundred year study of of price action and I'm not entirely sure that is very relevant you know what what happened back with uh, you know three four hundred years ago but markets change I mean I certainly agree we have to look at all the data especially different type of environments I think that's most important thing that we have different type of, of economic climate out there, and we need to see how things perform in different type of economic climate. That's more important, really.
1: So let me uh, let me uh, round off my my questions on back to at least my questions. There could be more, of course, but just my questions in terms of back t- back testing and, and designing systems. In, in in you know, from your point of view, I mean, at the end of the day, you can do your back test, and you might end up with a large number of parameter combinations. Um, and and you know. That and many of them may may uh, look good for for various reasons in various periods. I mean, have you have you any advice or rule of thumb for those who are in that stage of their career as to so you know so how do I select from from this unit? There could be a hundred different or more than a hundred different combination of parameters uh, that I can choose from. So how many should I choose um, in for my live model and. And how do I choose? Um, so again, to avoid some of the the uh, obvious mistakes, uh, and maybe there's a final, final question to that would be: Do you just choose and stick with them, or do you choose and actually have a rule for um, making those choices on an on an ongoing basis? to kind of recalibrate your your model and I asked that because that's one of the things we do at Dunn. we we've done that the last 14 years or so where we allow the model to to kind of recalibrate itself uh, on occasion uh, or on a regular basis I should say um, and also one of some of the research that we've done and and this was just purely looking at look back periods uh, you know what's the what's the optimal look back period been um, by calendar year I mean it changes dramatic, dramatically from year to year. You can have a 20-day look back as being the best. The next year, it's 260-day look back that's the best. I mean, so you know, just as to, to keep it simple, I mean, how, how do you think about these things in terms of choosing your parameters uh, and, 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 and those things?
2: In my view, unless you're... Unless you're on the the, uh, the the machine learning side, then of course all bets are, are are off. But otherwise, if you're running more normal things, you should keep parameters as few as you possibly could. Uh, the problem is, if you I'm sure you you know all this already. If you use too many parameters, you're you're more or less ending up with some over optimized model with no predictive value whatsoever. What I like to do is trade simple, broad concepts. In my view, trend following is, is it's an excellent candidate for such a thing. You're trading a concept, not the exact rules. If the parameters really matters, if your if your strategy is very sensitive to the parameter inputs, it's not a robust model and it probably won't last very long. It probably probably will not but, don't, will but not,
1: sorry to interrupt you, Andreas. Sorry to interrupt yep. you here because that, that's an important statement you're coming with. But don't you think all models, regardless, is, is is very depending on what parameters you put in? I mean I can think of of uh, easily uh, you know finding parameters for trend following that doesn't work but i also think of many that does work so sure yeah. I
2: mean, you can't put crazy parameters okay. in but you know if 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 you toggle around the parameters a little bit uh, change change your parameters randomly plus minus 20% if you get dramatically right. different results then you probably have an issue i mean obviously if you multiply them by 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 minus 50 you might have an issue but um you see what sure. i mean you should have you need to have some sort of parameters stability yeah. so if you trade in a broad concept because i mean once you throw throwing i don't know 30 40 parameters in there can you really explain what you do anymore i mean if somebody asks you what are you trading well i have this complex math and i have all these indicators with all these numbers and money comes out yeah but what are you trading what market phenomena are you are you exploiting here i mean what's the reason for this to be working yeah and i'm also uh, not
1: thinking necessarily andreas of parameters being different parameters per se but i'm thinking you know it could be very simple if you just keep various things very simple in in this example if you take a price breakout right so so obviously the you know you have different look back periods for example or if it's a volatility breakout you have different look back and you have different sensitivity of volatility i I don't mean a 100 different parameters in terms of different parameter types but but different settings of those parameters yeah
2: so so my, my preference to handle that, now I get your question, yeah. my, my preference to handle that is to break that up, break it down to individual models. Instead of saying that uh, if if this breakout is true and if that breakout is true but that breakout is not true on different parameters, then do something, right? Now you're getting a complex model or, right. you know, you, you, you scale positions up or down, you take a little bit more risk if this happens, if that happens, it's combinations. I don't like that, mostly because it adds... Complexity it makes it difficult to uh, to get an overview, difficult to evaluate what part of this model is valuable and not. What I would prefer instead is, that if you take such a model and you break it apart, you build 10 different simple models. Now, if they trade at the same time together, you get the same result, right? Basically, they will vault up or down position size, right? Each of them adds one risk unit, whatever there is, is right, adds or removes, right? Maybe they take opposite positions, and now you're flat, right? But you get the same result now you have individual component models which you can have a better overview of how they're performing you can evaluate them see if they make sense that to me is a better way to handle parameters than just throwing more parameters
1: into the same model i agree with that completely yeah cool jerry Moritz, what are your um, where do you want to go now
3: you know i, I was going to answer Moritz's question like the way i look at that is that um, you know the markets have changed uh the trend following and trend-following traders uh, are impacting the systems and the parameters, and so we need to change. Uh, there, for instance, uh, in the late 90s, shorter-term systems don't, didn't work very well. They stopped working, let's say, and that's my opinion. So, and then so we all have to have this longer look-back period. And um, then, then what Andreas was sort of saying is, uh, well, the world changes, so we have these both these changes happening all the time. So there's too many trend followers, there's too many fast computers, back test programs, uh, people trading trend. And so the markets are choppier. We get these trends and then they crash or they they go lower, then they go back to the highs. So the shorter term stuff needs to be adjusted. And then we have things that happen, zero interest rates, and this is changing as well. And so uh, I think that These are the two dilemmas. Which change are you talking about? And one of the things when we went longer term, um, we noticed that um, longer term had always been better. So when we traded shorter term, it wasn't better than the extra long term that we're doing now or back then. And so uh, that's good. So we we didn't just have to use the most recent uh, data uh, that – that would give us evidence that the shorter-term stuff didn't work very well any longer. Uh, So we were able to incorporate all the data and say, oh, great, you know, going back 30 years, the data, the longer-term systems work well. And then just another idea that I would have would be that um, I don't like to look at the historical backtest in terms of the hypothetical returns in the NAV, you know, the kind of, uh, this is how my, system has uh, done every year every day over the past 30 years i discount that totally Uh, so i like to just look at the average win average loss average trade win percentage just what i call the trade stats and sort of say okay i've got a healthy system multiple different parameters here um, different look back periods let's say they're all uh, over a 20-year period all these systems make about the same amount of money they can have, as you said, uh, they can have way different performance on an annual basis, uh, even if they're medium to long term. And so um, then let's just ignore, you know, um, the worst drawdown. And, you know, it's probably going to be worse than the worst. So I don't know if you have any comments on that, Andreas.
2: No, I mean, it makes sense to me. Obviously, you have, you have a different, uh, longer and wider experience at that point, but uh, no, Trend following, in the long run, in my view, has, as you said, it performs better. In my view, as if you're looking at the actual results, I see larger drawdowns often for the long-term trend followers. But personally, I don't have a particular issue with that. If I, you know, if I trust the manager, if I, if I trust the long-term track record, I know what they're doing. Uh, my view, I prefer to see that than then they're going to too to much diversification in terms of other, other type of models that you get something pure. But the world is changing, but what do we do about it? We certainly have much more trend followers coming in, changing the behavior of, of trends, in my view. Um, I mean, I'm not sure if you have seen, I've, I've published some pretty simple models that try to take advantage of this phenomenon of more trend followers coming in, basically trying to reverse the model I did in my first book by having the entry point where... My core model from the first book would stop out and you instead buy at that point, you wait until that happens and buy instead for a shorter term trend, uh, to a shorter term trade, which seemed to work just fine. And this particular type of model has worked much better since the CTA space have massively exploded in, in, in size. So I think trend followers themselves are getting, getting a footprint, obviously. And how do you Not just
1: how do you define the CTA space exploding? Because I I fail to see that, uh, and actually I saw that I think it was Appy Capital that did their analysis recently about the size of the CTA space, and they were basically when they volatility adjusted, uh, they were basically getting to pretty much the same number. Uh, in terms of of real trend following AUM uh, on 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 a volatility adjusted basis, as we saw in 2009. Now, I understand that there might be well, more end investors applying trend following techniques. So, if that's what you're saying, but I'll, I'll agree with that. But but I don't see our space exploding. I don't think we've become that popular.
2: No, but yeah. you're saying since. i'm sorry, you're saying since 2009, and, and I mean that that's around when when. The growth yeah. really happened, right? The the, uh, the attention from the 2008 year and all of these things, right? So the main growth happened there. I see. If you look into the the big changes in the space for the past, uh, say five to ten years, in my view, is less the AUM, the, the the net industry AUM, but rather asset uh, management. For for those not in the business out there listening, uh, the issue is more of the concentration that. It used to be a much more diverse field with a lot more medium-sized players and now we're seeing a concentration of assets in the larger mm-hmm. players uh, good for you guys uh, but it's bad for you know us poor medium uh, uh, nine figure guys this is uh, we're the tiny, the tiny ones um but we're seeing of course the brand names coming in and that's why for medium term Especially even more for small, small, uh, smaller asset management shops doing trend following, it's becoming less interesting as a business because of this concentration of assets into the larger mm. players. But that's the bigger change I see at the moment.
1: Yeah, sure, no, absolutely.
3: So would you still go out and uh, start a systematic trend-following business these days, or would you outright say no? That's a very terrible business idea. And or, or if you said yes, I, I want to
1: do it, how would you go about it? And how would you emphasize raising AUM? I mean, mm-hmm. I think
2: mean, as far as trend-following is concerned, it's it's a little bit late to the party to, to go and start it. I mean, you you might very well succeed, but you know you're not exactly an entrepreneur now. You're it's a bit like starting a mutual fund business. It's uh, that's a bit harsh perhaps but you mean what i mean is no pun intended but but the cta space has been commoditized right it used to be a niche strategy it used to be something kind of new and exciting and it's not really anymore you're going up against the giants but fine if you can get the assets for it i mean that's how the money is made in this business on asset under management if you can raise the assets for it and fine how do you raise the assets the initial assets well that's that's always the difficult question. Not everybody can slip on a banana peel and land on, you know, 50 million bucks. But um, if you can, that's great. I'd say first, raise your profile, become visible, get noticed by people who probably have a little bit more money than you do. Uh, Those are the people you you need on board. Be prepared to give up a large chunk of your your income, of your business early on for for seed money. Nobody's going to give you a If you're new in the business you want to start something nobody's going to give you a large chunk of of money without taking a big chunk of your return stream and there's an exchange for that Uh, the other thing to be very careful with these days is at least on my side of the pond is um, uh, regulations which has become much more onerous in the past uh, past decade it is much much more expensive and difficult to, to properly comply with uh, European asset management, especially fund management regulation. So take that seriously. Don't go just start something and get you know, 30 people around your neighborhood to invest because you might be in violation of some law and now you've burnt yourself in the industry. Uh, as I understand it, I don't know much about it, but as I understand it, it's actually much easier to start in the US. I, I think it's Still a little bit easier on the regulatory side there, but uh, in Europe, if you want to run pooled money, that's expensive. Look into that, uh, do it properly, or move to jurisdiction where where you can do that.
1: I, w- I wanted to follow up on on the question. I think was a great uh, point also that uh, Moritz raised about this whole thing. You know, if you were starting again and how would you do it and all of that stuff. But I wanted to also ask you a little bit about how you think. Uh, Ctas and trend following follows in general h- how should we position ourselves and I asked that in the context of uh, of this uh, term uh, being introduced about uh, eight or nine years ago called crisis alpha which people clearly um, related back to uh Uh, 2000 and, uh, you know, the IT bubble and then the financial crisis where CTAs, Trend followers in particular, did really well. So now we were a crisis alpha strategy. Uh, Of course, we know we can make money when there is no crisis like 2019, etc., etc. But I think it creates uh, some tension and potentially misunderstandings about what we really are um and i saw that uh, david harding um uh, and you know has come out recently in their uh, year end uh, review uh, saying that they they certainly don't want to be in that uh, bucket um and and i agree i mean i think we should be um viewed as an uncorrelated uh, strategy, but 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 crisis alpha has really, and I, I love the people who who kind of invented it. So it's it's difficult for me to be too harsh on the term, but but I just don't think it's helpful for investors because I think they gravitate towards us being a hedge for whatever bad comes in the equity markets, and I, I don't necessarily think that's a good uh, thing to rely on. So, so where do you sit on that, and how do you think we as an industry should position ourselves in order to attract uh, attention from in you know, investors who may not be as deep into it as you are, but just in general people who really need it in their portfolios?
2: No, I mean, I completely agree that who knows what's going to happen the next time stocks crash. I mean, sooner or later they will crash. I mean, I'm not the guy who says they're going to crash tomorrow, but I mean, I would be absolutely shocked if we don't see a massive crash in my lifetime. Uh, if that's going to happen, you know, next year or in 10 years, I don't know. I'm not making such predictions, but sooner or later. What is trend following going to do then? Who knows? I mean, probably it will not crash, but is it going to have a massive year just because equity tanked? I wouldn't bet on it. Maybe, maybe not. I think trend following is a great complement to uh, traditional investments. It belongs in as a building block in, in, in any portfolio, in my view. If you have a traditional portfolio, you, you complement it with trend following allocation. I think that it has a great added diversification value. But you shouldn't rely on that next crash is going to explode in value. How should you position it? I, I think what, what I appreciate when I talk to, you know, I, I talk to a lot of not just Trend following shops but a lot of hedge fund shops since we're on the allocator side as well. Uh, I very much appreciate transparency in terms of what is the strategy. I mean, how do you trade? What can we what can we expect from it? And from that point of view, it ties back to a bit what I mentioned earlier about combining strategies. When I allocate to a trend follower, I very much appreciate if there really are a pure trend follower, because I know exactly what I'm gonna get. If somebody tells me that this is this is how we do, here's a bunch of trade charts from last year. Here's how we entered positions and exit positions. And, you know, let me show you a bit about our, our, our risk models and how that works. It's great. You know, if somebody tells me we're a secret black box model and we have you know 20 years of great performance, take it or leave it. We're not going to tell you a thing. That, that doesn't really do it for me. Uh, I think CTA's being, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but CTA's being a fairly simple strategy. Conceptually, it's a pretty simple type of strategy. I know it gets complicated once you get into the nitty-gritty details, but conceptually, it is easy, which means it's explainable. I think that's the opportunity or the, the advantage trend followers have over many other type of hedge funds. You can actually sit down and explain your strategy to pretty much any investor, regardless of, of knowledge of the industry. You try that with some I don't know, merger arbitrage strategy and that's not going to be easy to explain. I, I think CTA should should trade on being the open, transparent, and explainable model. Don't don't try to be the secret black box thing. That that was kind of that was a cool thing 20 years ago to be the secret black box thing that just produces money out of nothing. They, they rub it out of the hat, but nobody wants it anymore. They want to know what, what what's, how the sausage
1: is made. Moritz, Jerry, one else? Uh... Would you like to talk to Andreas uh, about as long as we, we have him for a few more minutes, I'm sure? I've
3: exhausted my questions, but uh, I look forward to another time together. Not so long, not not another two years, but uh, this has been fantastic. Same here.
2: To, to add on that, let, 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 last time I met um, Jerry, we met at the, uh, the um, CMT conference uh, two years ago in uh, New York. That's right. And... In case any of you guys or anybody else listening, I'm going to be there again this year in uh, April at the uh, CMT Symposium. So I'll, I'll, I'll come and speak then again, and this time about um, about applying term structure analysis or incorporating term structure analysis in the field of technical analysis. Um, my, my point will be to try to expand the subject of, of technical analysis to include uh, analyzing the term structure. that is, the difference in price between different deliveries on the same futures
1: market.
3: Sounds great. I've exhausted Sounds all my questions good. too. It's been great yeah.
1: to speak with you, Andreas. Uh, hope to see you again soon, and thanks for joining us. Sure, sure. I haven't Thank quite you. exhausted all my questions, Andreas. Sorry to say uh, that, but there we are. There go we for are. Us. No, I, I wanted to. Uh, you know, uh, we're going to respect your time. It's it's Sunday, and you need to get back to to your family and so on and so forth. Um, I want to give you the opportunity, if you want, to talk a little bit about uh, your latest book. Thank um, you. Um, and, and then I also wanted to end up with a. Uh, kind of a, a left field uh, kind of question um, which goes into the the bucket which we've tried before andreas uh, I call it general and fun and I, I think uh, it, it could be uh, a good one just to hear your view on this and that is if you were having four people for for dinner you know people that you would really like to spend some time with and and have some interesting discussions um, and you know they could be living they could also be people who uh, are no longer with us um, you know which four people people would you invite for that dinner
2: um how about three of you and uh, why don't you bring uh, i don't know david harding as well and uh, we'll have a good time
1: i huh? think politically that is the right answer so you get full you full <laughs> full, full full credit for that one uh, your last latest uh, book andreas anything you want to share uh with our audience on that
2: um sure uh, the, the uh um, the obligatory plug uh, no i um I mean, we mentioned before about my, my first book. I did three books all in all so far. I have a manuscript laying around for, for a fourth, but who knows how long time that's going to take. Um, so my, my, my third one is quite different. Uh, Trading Evolved is the book, and I usually get asked by, you know, you're, you're pitching to a publisher, for instance, trying to get a, a book deal, which you may or may not want. It's a whole longer story, but the publisher will always ask you, what, what's your target group for the book? And I was at the same answer. I mean, my target book, from, my target audience for my books is always myself. A certain number of years earlier, and I, I write for myself. I write something that I wish I had read x number of years earlier, that would have saved me a lot of time and pain and effort earlier. And the latest book is is a very much much more practical book than the previous ones. It's uh, it's my attempt of uh, tricking people to learn programming without knowing that they learned that. I guess I gave away the, the secret here. Uh, basically, it is a book describing in detail not only the, the same strategies or variations of them from my previous books, it has a whole bunch of new ones um, for futures and stocks. But I am building it up bit by bit with actual programming code teaching you how to implement all of this in Python. My point being that, and I really believe that Python has the development of Python in the last few years, um, much thanks, thanks to, to uh, the great people who made, uh, made some free libraries for the past few years there, um, uh, McKinney among others, it has become a vital piece of, of quant finance. You can get stuff done that it would take me weeks to build in, in C-sharp or something like that, and now you can get it done in Python in, in a matter of minutes. So I'm showing step-by-step step how do you get into this, how do you build a backtester, how, how do you get the backtester up and running, hook it up to your data, build complex futures and stock models. Uh, and my, my my desire here, what, what I want to accomplish is I want to get people to, to get into proper, uh, proper and robust backtesting on their own. And move away from you know some of the more limited retail kind of things that a lot of people work on, because now we have for free available the, all these brilliant industry-level tools that anybody can use. So that's my plot, basically.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's perfectly fine. Now, I said that um, I had more questions now. Now that I've asked all of the questions, I also want to raise one more question, which comes from a listener. Um, and this is from yep. uh, Brian, who um, was uh, curious about uh, your thoughts on whether or not uh, trend strategies have been... Uh, distorted uh, by strategies such as, uh, you know, by by option market effects. So it doesn't give you much detail uh, in in the question, but but do option markets and and the effects of option markets, do you think that that distorts uh, trends or trend-following strategies?
2: Not unaware, but if I miss something, then Brian, please send me an email and explain, and uh, maybe I can sure, learn something. Sure,
1: sure, that's fine. Before we wrap up, let me just quickly run through the uh, performance so far. I mean, uh, obviously, we're still in January, so the month-to-date performance is the still is the same as, as year-to-date. As some people people have uh, worked out, so the uh, general um, trend of of the uh, CTA indices is that they're up for January so far. Uh, Eighty-nine bips for the B Top Fifty index. I think actually. Exactly the same for the and CTA index. The trend index up 1.14% for the month and the year. Uh, short-term traders index down about 31 basis points and the bridge alternatives up 75 basis points. I think that is it for this week. Andreas, thank you so much for spending part of your Sunday with us. We really appreciate this and I'm sure all our listeners do as well. So it's been a real uh, treat. Um, and uh, any final words, any final thoughts you want to share? Andreas, or... That sounds
2: ominous. Uh, no, uh, nothing I can think of at the uh, moment, but it's, it's been great being here, and uh, yeah, I'm not sure how many years it was since last sure. time, but uh, hopefully I um, get to come back again and without, without having to write another book first.
1: Absolutely, you are welcome uh, at, at any time. So, from Andreas, Jerry, Moritz, and me, thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to being back with you next week.